Hello and welcome to today's edition of Wednesdays in the Word. My name is Gary Cooney and I'm so glad you could be with me as we continue in our study verse by verse, unfolding the scriptures together. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're in the eighth chapter now of the book of Romans. And today I would like to read in Romans 8 from verses 5 through verse 8. So join with me as we look at God's word together. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death or deadening. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life in peace, enlivening. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh simply cannot please God. If you've been with me for a while, you know that we've been working our way through the book of Romans. And last time, as we opened up our study of chapter 8 of the book of Romans, we were examining what I called wonderful news for wretched believers. (laughs) And of course, that title was building on the end of the seventh chapter of Romans, where Paul is bemoaning the reality of his ongoing struggle with sin in the midst of a fallen body and a fallen world attacked by the enemy. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? (laughs) Romans 7 expanded for us this very battle that's going on in the life of the redeemed believer a battle that makes us very frustrated at times. And in fact, a battle that can at times lead us to even question the security of our salvation, to really question, do I really know Christ at all? And so God, in seeking to address that reality for the believer, addresses the insecurity that emerges from life still in a fallen body and in a fallen world, and he begins to do that before he turns attention to explaining to us more fully what being filled with the Spirit of God and God's Holy Spirit indwelling us in the role of that Holy Spirit is in the midst of living in victory over the struggle. Basically, what God is opening the eighth chapter with is to say to us, to you, to me, he says, as my redeemed children who have repented and believed in the gospel, in the work that was accomplished by my sending my son into this world to die on the cross, to raise from the dead, to ascend into heaven, and eventually to return. The reality of the struggle you continue to face in a fallen world, even as a redeemed person, is not intended to rob you of the wonder of the security that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can continue to feel secure in Christ despite the warfare. What Romans 7 describes as the battle going on between the law of your heart and what's going on in the members, the physical thinking members of your body. And the question is, how can that be? How can we still feel secure? How can we still feel at rest in the promise of salvation despite the reality of the battle? And the eighth chapter begins by reminding us of this all-important truth. 
Our performance was never the basis for our redemption. And it therefore was never the basis for our certainty about the future. Our right standing with God is totally resting in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on our behalf, not on our performance. As Romans chapter 5 verse 1 put it, having been justified by our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our justification being declared right before God, covered with the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ, is always the basis for assurance. It is always the basis for any confidence that I should feel or you should feel about our eternal life, about our future and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are never to shift from our confidence about that into some sort of confidence about our future and our hope and our salvation based on the things that we're doing. Our efforts, for example, at changing, at growing as a disciple. Oh, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to be growing. And God wants us to have victory in this battle that's been described for us in Romans 7. But God says, listen, I don't want you to look to the victory question or the lack of it as related to the issue of assurance. In Jesus Christ, we are secure, justified, and at peace with God. Again, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This inner struggle that Romans 7 develops for us, Romans 6 identified as well, but Romans 7 particularly developed for us, is not intended to undercut our assurance. And as I ended last time, I said, so what God is calling for us to do is now we're getting into the eighth chapter is to get the assurance of salvation question out of our minds. That question is always addressed solely by the, by the issue, have I repented of my sin and rested completely in what Jesus Christ has done for me, trusted in his work on the cross? That and that only is the issue related to assurance of salvation. And we are to replace that assurance question now that we're in the 7th and 8th chapters of Romans with the responsibility question. What do I do now as redeemed? people. What do I do now in order to grow in the discipleship possible for me? What do I do now in order to walk in a way pleasing to God? Not what do I do now in order to be saved or stay saved? No, because I'm saved, I still face this battle in this world. So what do I do now to have victory in this battle, to be pleasing to God? You see, that's the responsibility question. What steps do I need to take to have victory. How does the Holy Spirit come into the picture here? How does the indwelling Holy Spirit work out in practice in my life in order to give me victory in the battle? Do you follow it? That's the condition of the believer as Romans 8 is developing it for us. Now, the verses I read to you today, picking up our study in verse 5 and on through verse 8, is telling us a very important principle about all of that responsibility question. And the principle begins this way. How we choose to set our minds is very, very important. How we set our minds 
set our thoughts, our focus of our thoughts, is crucial in the battle with sin. God has made it possible for us to choose how we set our minds. You see, the reality of things is that part of being redeemed, made a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ, is now we can do something about our thought patterns. We can set our minds on the things that are above. Now, there's another question of how do I carry out in practice what I've decided to set my mind on? And we discovered in chapter 7 that this is a very real issue because as 7.18 puts it, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. (laughs) Uh, We struggle with carrying out where the proper mindset is, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit to enable us in our weakness to carry out the mindset. But we begin now by looking at the mindset question, because that's where it has to start. God says, where you set your mind. Those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. God has commanded us as his redeemed children to set our minds on certain things. Now, by the way, God has commanded all men everywhere who are unredeemed to set their mind on repentance and faith. He is not talking about that issue any longer. And unless a person has set their mind on repentance and faith, and therefore have been redeemed, everything that's being talked about here in Romans 8 is of no practical benefit to them. Because he is talking to the believer now, the one who has found new life in Jesus Christ, salvation and security for the future. And he says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to set your mind on certain truths. Back in Romans chapter 6, he was talking about something very similar when he talked about reckoning or considering certain things to be true. He's come back to it. And he says, I want you to set your mind on biblical truths. I want you to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. An undergirding principle here. And let me make it plain to you because it's central to understanding the Christian walk as a disciple. God will not set your mind for you. You can pray and pray and pray asking God to set your mind for you. And he will never answer that. Because God has given you the responsibility of setting your mind. Now God praise God, has done what is necessary to enable us to carry out what we set our minds on. And of course, that's the role of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But God does not set our minds on our behalf. That's why the command is given to us. We must make a choice. He promises to empower the choice, but he won't make the choice on our behalf. Now, I keep saying that to you, and I don't want to just be redundant about it, but please let me underscore for you. It is our responsibility to set our minds. It is a step of obedience for the redeemed believer, and God will not do it for us. Brothers and sisters, I wish I could share with you the number of times I've dealt with people who have spent long periods of their life as redeemed believers pleading with God to do something that God said, I'm not going to do because you have to do. Instead of spending time having done what God said to do, 
by turning to the Lord and requesting that enabling that he promises to give us to carry out the proper mindset. Where do you situate yourself in this? Are you a person who's been pleading and pleading and pleading for God to do something that God said you're supposed to do? Well, I hope as we're examining this, you understand that distinction and you will begin to set your mind properly and then look to the Lord for an enablement to carry out the mindset, not for God's intervention to make your mindset proper. Well, let's move on. God says he will empower our choice. And in these verses that I read to you today, especially think about verse 5, we only see two options for mindsets. Two options. The first option for now, we're talking about redeemed believers, is he says, you can choose to set your mind on the things of the flesh. Or to put it a different way, you can choose to set your mind on the things of the old man. The things about life that were rooted in that era of your life that was marked by rebellion against God. That era of your life where you were living in conformity to the fallen world around you. That period of your life where you were living almost always susceptible to Satan's deception. To set our mind on the things of the flesh is to set our minds on us being in the center of our life, on us sitting on the throne of our life. The things of the flesh is where we try to run our own life. And remember, God's already told us that there's a, there's a battle going on where what I've set my mind on wanting to do, which is to do the right thing before God, I find that's being warred against by the flesh, the power that's still there within my fallen body. God says, as a redeemed believer, you have a choice to make. You can choose to continue to think like you used to think. I want you to put off that sort of thinking. And I want you to begin to think differently. Set your mind on a different thing. Don't set your mind on what you were conditioned to be. Set your mind on what I've redeemed you to become. The second choice, therefore, in this passage, is to choose to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the things that spring in harmony with the new creation, the new man that you've become, the things that are encouraged by the Holy Spirit and therefore empowered by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the things that come from letting Christ be the Lord in your life, rather than you sitting on the control center, the throne of your life. We're going to talk more about this as we continue in Romans 8, but consider, picture your life as having a throne in it, a control center. One of the things that's true of the redeemed believer who has their mind set on the things of the flesh is that they continue to sit on the control center of their life. No, that doesn't mean they haven't believed in the gospel, but it means they continue to run the show as far as their day-to-day -day walk. One of the things that's clear of the people who set their mind on the things of the Spirit is that they've stepped out of the throne, out of the control center, and they put the Lord Jesus Christ there so that he is Lord, no longer we being the Lord of our life. Two choices. I can choose as a redeemed believer to set my mind Focus my thoughts on the things that are part of who I once was, 
the flesh, or I can choose to set my mind on those things that are part of the new man, the enabling and indwelling Holy Spirit. Which am I choosing to do? And let me underscore for you a logic point here, and I hope you don't miss the logic of it. There's only two choices. There's not three. There's not some sort of middle road. Your mind is either set on the things of the flesh or it's set on the things of the spirit. It's not some third category. There is no third category. Now, building on that reality, building on the fact that God says, listen, you have a responsibility to set your mind on the right thing, and I've given you enablement to do that. And then, depending on what you've done, if you set it on the Spirit, I'll give you enablement to carry that out. And we'll talk more about that enablement later. But he does make a warning here. He says, listen, there are consequences from the mindset choice. As you make this choice, there will be consequences. Not so good consequences if you set your mind on the flesh, the things of the flesh, and some very wonderful consequences if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. He says, listen, you set your mind on the things of the flesh, look out. He says, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh simply cannot please God. The mindset on the flesh, as he puts it here, for the mindset on the flesh in verse 6 is death or deadening. There are consequences from the choice that we make. He's not talking here about, oh, deadening or dead in the sense that you've lost the salvation you had. Remember, we've already begun the chapter understanding there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now he's talking about our day-to-day -day walk, our day-to-day -day experience as redeemed believers. And he says, listen, you choose to set your mind on the flesh, on what was true of the old man, on what was true of the way you approached life previously, being the master of your own life. There will be serious consequences. And one of those consequences he describes here is to choose to set our mind on the flesh is to choose to be living out our life day by day, moment by moment, in a way that it is described here as being hostile to God. <laughs> Do you see the point? Even as a redeemed believer, reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, with given the promise of salvation and justification, as a day-to-day -day walk reality, we can actually be living hostile to God. This word hostile translates the Greek word ekthera, which means to be at enmity with or alienation with. The King James Version translates uh, this passage, verse 7, by saying our minds are at enmity with God, in antagonism, in opposition. Do you want, as a pattern of life, to be hostile to God? Now, by the way, he isn't saying here that you've set your mind on doing things that are grossly sinful and immoral. You might be choosing to live in a self-disciplined sort of way, a life that is very righteous, very noble, uh, very virtuous. And God says, but 
if you're doing it in the old way, setting yourself on yourself as the master of your life rather than me, then you are, in point of fact, living hostile to me. Even if your actions are not classically immoral, they are still hostile to me. Oh, brother and sister in Christ, please understand, if you are not living, having presented your body as a living sacrifice, settled the lordship question, letting Christ be Lord of your life, empowered by his Holy Spirit, if you are still still holding the reins to your life, God says no matter what religious activity you've done, no matter how morally you're trying to carry out your life, you're living in practice in a way that makes you hostile to me, at enmity with me. Sobering, isn't it? But the Bible's very plain about it. If we have chosen to set our minds on the things of the flesh, the old way, being in mastery of our own life, dealing with God on the basis of how we want to deal with God. We are choosing a lifestyle that he goes on to say is not only hostile to God, but cannot please God. Verse 8. A life that cannot please God. The word please, arresto in the Greek, means to satisfy or to continue to be winning the favor of. A person living in charge of their own life rather than surrendered to the Lordship of Christ cannot, by definition, be pleasing to God. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about day-to-day -day walk. Think about how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. He says and commands us under direction of the Holy Spirit, he says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Talking about to believers now. Uh, the unbeliever can never please the Lord. That's why we need to turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. But having done that, then as a walk, as a disciple, it's possible for us to walk in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. And that's why he says, listen, try to discern what it is that makes your life pleasing to the Lord. The same message comes out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. That's how Paul puts it here under direction of the Spirit of God. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. You see it? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body. He's not talking about the judgment seat in the sense of the great white throne. We passed out of judgment into life in Jesus Christ, justified. But he is saying all of us as justified, redeemed believers have an accountability before God for how our life is being unfolded. He is going to call us into account for the stewardship of our life. And if the stewardship of your life is being lived under your mastery, you will have nothing to show for it. You will have to be accountable for that before God. And therefore, Paul says, listen, I know I've got that accountability. I want to live in a way I make it my aim to please God with my life. Is that your aim? To please God with your life? Oh, may it be for each one of us. First Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul continues in that same sort of theme under direction of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk 
and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. The teachings in the epistles are to help us to understand how to live in a way, as he puts it here, that pleases God. And God says, I want you to do that and do it more and more and more. To choose a lifestyle focused on the flesh, a lifestyle somewhat less than letting Christ be the Lord of our life, focused on the Spirit, by definition means we cannot be pleasing to God. <laughs> Discerning what pleases the Lord, that doesn't please the Lord. Making it our aim to please the Lord, it won't please the Lord to be anything less than surrendered to the Lord. <laughs> Do you see the distinction? A decision to let the self be in mastery of the life. For the believer now, we're talking believers, is a decision that actually makes us hostile to God and shows as a way of life that our life is displeasing to God. And again, once again, the believer is the focus here, not the unbeliever. And this reality that a life focused, a mindset focused on the flesh, on the self, even if it's a rather moral, religious self or an immoral self, a life lived that way is a life displeasing to God. It is a life that puts us hostile toward God. A Christian to choose to live somewhere short of surrendering their life, again, Romans 12, 1, we'll get to it eventually, challenges us in light of the mercies of God to present our body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> We've been bought with a price. Our lives are no longer our own, as we're told. A Christian living to choosing to live, set their mind and live in a way somewhat short of surrender under the, and living under the control of the Holy Spirit by definition, you notice the point? By definition is hostile to God and cannot be pleasing to God. It doesn't matter how zealously you sing hymns on a Sunday. It doesn't matter how, how determinedly you try to stay away from immoral activities. Your life still displeases the Lord if you're in charge rather than Christ. A decision for you being in charge is a decision of carnality, fleshliness. Once you and I have been redeemed, and again, that's who he's talking to in this passage, we are not free to live as we please. We are the only called by God to live a way that pleases him. We live in a way that's pleasing to God. And there's the sobering reality. God says, how you set your mind determines whether you're pleasing me or not pleasing me. You and I, as redeemed people, no longer have the right to live as we please. Oh, well, we have the possibility of doing that, but we don't have the right to do it. And if we choose to live as we please, God says, you don't please me. And in point of fact, you're ultimately going to be in hostility in your relationship toward me. I command you as my redeemed child, not in order to be saved, not in order to stay saved, but in order to grow, I command you to live in a way that is pleasing to me. So as you're thinking about your current life, 
Are you living in a way pleasing to God or ultimately in hostility to God? How have you chosen to set your mind to set your thoughts? Are you setting your mind on the things of the flesh or are you setting your mind on the things of the spirit? Well, he then builds on these principles and turns our attention in the verses ahead to living in victory in the battle by having our mind set on the things of the Spirit of God, drawing upon the enabling Holy Spirit's power. Join me as we continue our studies, and I'll look forward to seeing you, Lord willing, next week for our next Wednesdays in the Word. God bless.